Welcome to the Real View Podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me today is Brad Evans. He is the Director of Research at the University of Cincinnati, and you're in the economic department. Is that correct, Brad? So I am a part of the economic center. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Like I said, with the University of Cincinnati, um, we've been working on a special workforce housing study um, with Brad and the team there at the university. And we are going to kind of dive into this study a little bit today and talk about some of the findings. And if you joined us at convention in the fall, you heard a little bit from Brad and some of the results of that study there. But we are going to talk more in depth about that. And Brad is here to share all data and information from that study. So super excited to have you on today, Brad. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I have to ask our signature question that we ask all of the guests on the Real View podcast, which is since the show is called The Real View, I would like to know what is the best view that you have ever seen? The best view uh, for me has to be a sunset on Siesta Key Beach. It's a place we I, I go every year with my family. It's something that we all look forward to. And I think it's just nice to have that time together on the beach. And certainly you can't beat a beautiful sunset on the beach, in my opinion. You really can't. Absolutely. And I know even just in Ohio, I feel like our sunsets have been so pretty lately, although like they are a little earlier than what I want. Like the whole sunset at 630 thing is a little (laughs) scary, but we have had such gorgeous sunsets. And I know I'm a big fan of sunrises and sunsets as well. So I love that that was your choice. So thank you. Okay, so I want to hear a little bit about you, Brad. Um, Tell me about what you do at Cincinnati, kind of your role there and your career. And um, yeah, tell me a little bit about you and what you do. So uh, I'm the director of research at the the University of Cincinnati's Economic Center. So we are affiliated with the university. And so in my role, um, I oversee all of the research function that takes place at the Economic Center. I'm very fortunate that, that I do have the opportunity to work with some very talented economists, which certainly I think leads to some valuable work, uh, research, and, and insights that we're able to share with our clients. We complete about 25 to 30 research projects each year. We work you know, all over the state, um, and we uh, also have some clients in other parts of the country as well. Very cool. Did you always know that this type of stuff was what you wanted to get into? Or how did you kind of find this as as your career? No, um, I'm not <laughs> sure that this is a, um, I didn't, this wasn't something that I you know thought all along is where I wanted to be. I think it found me. And in, in my prior life, I was worked for local governments and did economic development. I think this was sort of a natural progression, moving from the economic development world into uh, my role at the economic center very much tied together in terms of um, you know helping grow communities in terms of now I'm working on on studies that our clients are using to improve the quality of life for constituents for you know residents stakeholders there are some uh, strong similarities between where I was and where I'm at now so this is kind of not the first project that Ohio Realtors and um, you and your department have worked on. Tell us a little bit about what that relationship's been like and maybe some things that we worked on together in the past. Sure. I think we've had a great relationship. I know that for all of our research projects, we very much view them as a partnership with our clients. And we were fortunate enough to partner with uh, Ohio Realtors 
A couple of years ago, and looking at the impact of point of sale ordinances as they relate to housing transactions. And so that I think was a really interesting study. I know the point of sale ordinances are more common, I think, in northern Ohio than they are down in the Cincinnati area. But we found some really interesting relationships in terms of maybe some unintended consequences with point of sale ordinances. It actually led to homes being on the market longer, decreased sale prices were a couple of some of the, the, the key takeaways from that one. So we, we were able to compare communities. And we used the Department of Education. They have a school district data set on their website where it'll tell you essentially your nearest neighbor in terms of economic characteristics. And so the similarly matched communities. And so we compared communities where point of sale ordinances were uh, in place to those communities most uh, nearest to them where they were not a law or something that homeowners had to go through. And so we were able to compare transactions over time. Super interesting. Yeah. And I know how challenging these point of sale inspections have been, especially I know, like you said, in the Northeast Ohio part of the state, I know Lake Geauga just went through actually getting their point of sale um, overturned, which was which is great news. And um, the major issues up there with septic um, inspections and things like that that had to be passed before a home could be sold it can be a burden on, on home sales. So um, very interesting that we you know went through that study with you all. And then now we reached out last year, I believe it was, to kind of enter into this new study um, around workforce housing and the supply and demand of that. Tell us a little bit about this study, um, what the purpose was, and maybe like what is workforce housing and why is it so important? Sure. So this most recent study that we're working on now is looking at the sort of available supply of, of workforce housing across the state of Ohio. And workforce housing defined as homes that are affordable for households that earn between 60 and 120 percent, in this case, of the state's median income. As an example of that, in 2021, the 60% of the state's median income would be earnings, household earnings of about $36,000. And then up to 120% of that uh, would be $72,000. So we're talking about home transactions, home prices that would be affordable in the sale range of about $92,000 up to $183,000. Yeah. And we know, I mean, just as realtors with what's been in the news lately, you know, with home prices being as high as ever. Um, so it's interesting that that is the range that was focused on because it does seem like that is much less than what the average home price is going for now. It is. And when we think of home prices in this range, we're talking about occupations. You know, individuals are holding occupations that are really the backbone of a community. If you think about oftentimes your teachers talking about individuals that are working at the grocery store, talking about your first responders, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, really important jobs that are really essential to any community. And we're talking about home prices that are affordable for those, you know, those types of uh, jobs and occupations. And are they, are individuals in those occupations able to live uh, in the communities where they're working and serving? Why there's such a focus, I think, on, on this workforce housing issue in Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. That's why it's so important, right? Because we're talking about people that are so critical and involved in their communities and, and how they are, where they're going after they leave these jobs that are so important and so crucial to the community. Okay, so tell us a little bit about how the study was conducted and kind of some of the things that you did to gather this research. To get started here in terms of collecting the data, we worked with the county auditors for all 88 counties in Ohio, and we collected data on housing transactions, uh, home sales that occurred 
from 2015 through 2021. We sort of arrived at 2015 as that first year because that's the first year in which we could get transactions from all of the 88 counties. As you can imagine, with 88 counties, there were some differences in terms of the types of data that were collected as they relate to housing transactions. But we did collect data from all 88 counties starting in, in 2015 through 2021. And we collected, you know, the sale date, sale amount. There were some other characteristics that were available from some of the county auditors. We also used a lot of publicly available data from the census in terms of, you know, collecting information on population growth, median household income, educational attainment, other economic indicators in terms of unemployment and labor force participation uh, were sourced from some other publicly available data sets. So it was kind of like a full, extensive knowledge that you were pulling from all these different places. You were gathering a lot of data from a lot of different places. So tell us a little bit about some of the findings of the study and what you were able to gather from having all of this information in one place. A couple of things worth worth pointing out in terms of some of the findings, and I think this may not be a surprise to anybody, but household earnings are flat in Ohio. So when you look at that wage growth from 2015 to 2021, uh, wages have grown at, I believe, about half a percent per year. So wages aren't keeping pace with inflation. When you look at the housing transactions in the affordable uh, housing ranges, we're seeing that the sale price of those homes are far exceeding that of wage growth and, and certainly outpacing inflation as well. Yeah. And I know it's just like getting worse now, you know, with inflation. I mean, maybe when we started this in 2021, it kind of wasn't even, you know, as bad as it was right now. Yeah. And I think that I know our, our analysis really stopped at 2021. And I think that in the coming months and years, when other, these additional data are, are available to us, I think that we would see that certainly more recently, transactions have certainly increased probably even more substantially than, than they had uh, during our period of analysis. Yeah, absolutely. And then I know you also held some roundtable discussions with real estate experts kind of throughout the state. What were those like, those discussions? And what were um, some of the findings from those discussions you had throughout the state? Yeah, those conversations were great. I really appreciate the realtors that took time out of their day to come uh, meet with us um, and share their thoughts. As we met across the state, there were many consistent themes that came from those conversations. You know, generally, uh, housing is less affordable today than it, than it was 10 years ago. The limited inventory is only pushing transactions and, and home prices uh, even higher, which I think is certainly contributing to to that growth that we're seeing in the in the home sales prices relative to inflation and, and, and wage growth. In certain parts of the state, I know in the Cincinnati area, and we also touched on this, um, I believe in Columbus as well. But institutional investors are outbidding what would be uh, home buyers, uh, owner occupiers, and that is just pushing up prices even further, and it's also pushing potential home buyers out of the market. Certainly, I know in Cincinnati that's been a that's been a big problem. I believe at one point in I think the first quarter of 2021, institutional investors made up about 25% of all of the home transactions in the area. So certainly, institutional investors are something we we had talked about and how that competition for the limited supply of homes and the relative large amount of money that the investors have on hand, cash on hand, uh, is making it difficult for individuals to compete. Other common themes included, um, there are many underutilized and vacant buildings across the state that ought to be repurposed, potentially for single family or, or multi-family housing. Conversations around how 
local communities might be able to leverage their local land banks, port authorities, and, and other sort of financing mechanisms to be able to remediate vacant buildings if necessary or tear them down and, and have that site ready for development of either single family or multifamily homes. And we also talked about how down payments can be the biggest barrier, certainly for households at that 60% of the median area income. That's oftentimes the biggest barrier to home ownership is just coming up with that initial down payment. And FHA requirements, I think, also present some, some barriers or some maybe some unintended consequences there. Just the closing timeline takes longer than conventional loans or some of the home inspection and some of the things that need to be fixed under the FHA program might be difficult for some sellers to participate with. We've talked a lot about zoning and how, you know, Ohio is a home rule state. And so, you know, local zoning laws, they are all, I think, different. You know, they all vary from city to city, community to community. And that and that really makes it difficult for housing developers to be able to develop diversity in the local housing stock. Other themes developers face, in addition to the uh, zoning regulations, is just the cost of construction materials has risen dramatically here these last several years. And so at certain price points, at certain development price points, it's it's hard for those home developers to make a profit for it to be profitable for them to, to build homes in these price ranges. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-license course locations. What are some possible suggestions or ideas or solutions, um, you know, that we can bring forth, you know, as realtors, as developers that can kind of ease some of these challenges that may be out there? We talked about some of these solutions during the roundtable conversations. And we've also at the Economic Center, we've taken a look at some things other states have done to address some of these issues. So some potential solutions would include um, some form of down payment or appraisal gap assistance, certainly for individuals at 60, the lower end of the affordable uh, workforce housing earnings. And that could be done through the form of uh, for forgivable loans. And so if you meet certain criteria and you are in that home for you know, whatever those parameters are, if it's a certain number of years, that down payment assistance is essentially forgiven. And then you're able to, if you choose to resell that house, you can sell it at the, at the, at the current market rate. And I think that would also work in, in some ways in terms of forgivable loans to encourage investment into vacant and abandoned homes. So you help bring down some of the, the cost as a barrier for developers and then also might help offset some of the some of that cost to potential buyers. You know, I think flexible design standards. I know we, we talked a little bit about some of the zoning issues, and I think that one is going to be a bit of a challenge. But if there are some things that can be done to help encourage Smaller lot sizes, for example, might help bring down the, the cost of purchasing that lot, but then also maybe you can think about building maybe a little bit of a smaller home on that lot to help control some of that cost. As I mentioned before, utilizing some of the existing government mechanisms in place, such as land banks. And I think that, you know, there are some very well-funded land banks across the state and others maybe not as well. 
And so there could be some things there, whether it's with some of the, you know, the stimulus funding that the state of Ohio and, and local cities and counties have been receiving, maybe to help fund some of those land banks to then acquire that land or the vacant structures, um, have them do what needs to be done to have them become development ready for single family homes within this workforce housing range. And then they could sell that lot at the at a reduced price to developers to, to encourage that development. Just one more thing to, to mention as a possible solution with the shift of working remotely or some hybrid schedules, there are uh, plenty of vacant office buildings these days that I think that could be considered for some sort of a mixed use, whether it's multi, multi-family housing and some mix of retail and, and maybe a, a smaller amount of office space. And you could bring that density back to some of the urban employment centers that would help other businesses as well. Yeah, no, those are all all great ideas and solutions. And as you were discussing this, you mentioned, you know, what is it like in Ohio compared to some other states? And you gave examples of what some other states are going through as they address these issues. Where do you know, like where Ohio stands in regards to other states? You know, as as we talk about um, workforce housing, how how do we compare to other states? That I don't know. We haven't looked at other states. I can tell you that there, um, Ohio is not alone looking at what's out there, what other states, what other policies other states are considering and implementing or have implemented. But there are many other states that are facing a very, very similar issue to, to Ohio. There's definitely been a big focus on this um, with the news of new companies moving to Ohio and the growth kind of that we're seeing throughout the state of of more and more companies laying ground here and how that's going to affect workforce housing. What do you see in regards to that? Do you think that that's going to change the demand for workforce housing? And, and kind of what do you think the impact of these new companies kind of moving and making Ohio home base? What does that look like for the workforce housing world? We're all familiar with the, the news of Intel. I think when you look at what's going on regarding their investment in Ohio, um, I think that's going to have some some implications, certainly for, for around where they're located, then also, you know, neighboring communities. I do know that they're, because of the demand to get that facility up and going, they're, they're pulling workers in the skilled trades industries, you know, from kind of all over to help uh, construct that facility, which I think could have some some implications in the construction trade, in the skill trades, uh, in the construction industry, certainly for constructing additional single family or multi multifamily housing. But I also think with the wages the individuals working at Intel are going to earn, you're going to see likely going to see some some new homes being constructed at a range that would not be fit within that 60 to 120 percent of the area's median income because those wages do exceed that on average. And so I think you're going to see in those communities most most impacted by Intel's investment, you're going to see home prices rise even further. Certainly, in my opinion, when you have additional individuals moving in for these jobs, these well, very high paying jobs, um, the market for the homes, I think, is only going to is only going to increase in terms of pricing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. And I know it's all something it's something that we all um, have on the top of our minds. If you had to guess, or, or maybe you know or not, but well, how much are we behind in the sense of workforce housing, you know, maybe by units or, you know, how much are we behind and what does that gap look like? Sure. So I think we're, we're certainly behind. When you look at in terms of the, at the new um, housing permits, I think historically, looking back, the majority of those permits were for um, new single family homes to be constructed that would exceed what would be affordable for households at that 60 to 120 percent range. 
it has improved these last couple of years. We have seen some some more permits being filed to build homes that would be in this affordable range. Although I think we still have a ways to go. Even though we're still, even though we're seeing more homes permits being filed for homes that would be affordable, the overwhelming majority of the new permits are still being filed for single-family homes that would exceed that 120% median area income. So it's getting better, um, but I do think we still have some room to improve. Is there a goal, like number or you know unit number, that we should be looking at to where we start feeling you know a little bit better that you know we are improving and we are you know seeing that success of creating these new opportunities? Is there any kind of goal line that we should be working towards in the sense of this? You know, I think there's some things we could do to consider a better equilibrium between the growth of households within this workforce housing income range relative to some of the new permits that are being filed. When you look at um, the growth in just in terms of households, they're growing the fastest within this 60 to 120% range. More specifically, the fastest rate of growth is occurring at households with earnings at the median area income or 100 or up to 120% of the median area income. And so over the time period that we examined, the number of those households increased by more than 75,000 homes across Ohio. And that uh, represented an increase of, of nearly 25% within that income range. On the other side of that, we're seeing decreases in terms of the number of households with income above 120%. But the majority of the new homes being constructed are still at price ranges that would not be considered affordable for you know workforce housing. And so I don't know that I have a specific number that I could offer, but I do think they're looking at the growth in terms of household income within these workforce housing ranges and look at sort of what is going on with the, the new homes being constructed. Now, I do know that it is difficult for housing developers to build homes currently at a price that would be you know, within this affordable range and still be profitable and then be able to operate and stay in business. And so looking at some of the potential ways that the price could be reduced for developers in terms of some incentives, or helping home buyers with some forgivable loans might help offset some of that cost and, and bring better balance to the housing stock. Yeah, absolutely. All all great ideas. What were you most surprised about when you got the results of the study? What were kind of some of the big things that you maybe weren't expecting or that um, surprised you when you looked at the study results? The biggest surprise for me, and I knew that home prices were increasing at a greater rate than wages and inflation, but just by the amount of that of that price increase for example for the increase of homes that were affordable for individuals that earn the median income in the state of ohio between 2015 and 2021 after adjusting for inflation that increase in price was thirty thousand dollars and when you look at sale prices affordable at 120 percent of the state's median income that increased by thirty six thousand dollars at the same time we're seeing wages be relatively flat increasing by about $2,000 or so for the median. So less than that uh, for individuals, the 60%, and just a little bit better than that for those that have earnings up to 120%. And so that to me was just, I think, the biggest surprise was just even after controlling for inflation, that that the price was increasing by approximately $30,000 over the, the, the six years that we had uh, looked at transactions. That's a lot. And I mean, I can only imagine that it's going to keep trending upwards. Given sort of the recent economic conditions and what's going on with some of the inflation and, and some of the other issues, I think housing supply is 
is still limited. Available housing stock within this price range is, is still limited. I think that's going to push prices up. Reached a peak recently. I know the Fed has is, is, is increased mortgage rate interest rates, which are impacting uh, mortgage rates, which might bring some of this back in line. The biggest surprise was just even after adjusting for inflation and, and other factors, just that the, the increase for homes in this price range rising by $30,000 was certainly surprising to me. I kind of want to end with the future outlook. And I know a lot of this stuff was kind of hard to hear and hard to listen to. And it's hard to see, you know, that maybe these individuals that are so important to our community are being priced out, you know, of some of these homes. But what's next? Kind of where do we go from here, you know, to work through this problem? And what does the future of workforce housing look like to you? Some of these findings were, were surprising and, and, and some of them certainly hard to hear um, in terms of in, individuals maybe being priced out, pushed out. I do think it's worth mentioning that Ohio has made some really great improvements in terms of poverty in the state. So I think there's something, you know, at least to feel a little bit better about. And I think that is also potentially contributing to some of the demand for housing in Ohio. But in the time period that we had looked at, you know, we saw poverty decline by about 230,000 people across the state. That's a really big improvement. So we saw the poverty rate go down by about 13%. So that's, I think, certainly something, some good news. I, I think there's still room to improve there, but certainly some some good news. Yeah. So you're saying there's hope. <laughs> there's hope. Of course, there's hope. I think, you know, we have seen Ohio recently announce some relatively big wins from an economic development perspective, which is certainly going to help some households, some individuals across the state with some, perhaps some improved economic opportunity, whether it be at those employers or within jobs that are supported by those employers within within their communities. There seems to be motivation, certainly from my conversations with these roundtable discussions. We've had a good mix. We've had we've had a home developers. We've had some individuals in the you know housing finance industry. We've had you know great representation of realtors, and I think there's a lot of momentum from from all entities that want to work together and really drive some possible solutions. Certainly, is something that is encouraging to me. Great to hear. Always good to hear. You know, we know there's a problem in that we are taking active steps to work and and solve that problem. And with everybody coming together, as you mentioned, hopefully we'll start to see some improvement there. Are there any future studies that you're working on that we should kind of pay attention to as realtors that may be impactful for us? That's a really great question. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to run through the list of some of the things that we are working on now. We still have a little bit more to go with this study. We are wrapping it up. I will say, I think that we've looked at the state transactions and, and what that looks like. But we've also broken this down by region in Ohio, by Jobs Ohio region. And so we are drafting, uh, putting the finishing touches on the, the statewide report, as well as some of those regional reports, which I think will be helpful. I think having the perspective, statewide perspective is helpful, but also being able to zoom into some of the regions in Ohio for policymakers and for others to see what's going on in their communities might also be useful in moving this issue forward. Yeah, well, we will um, keep our eyes peeled for that. Any information and data we can get to help solve these economic issues, you know, we're always interested in. So, Brad, this was so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing this information and for your hard work on this study. I know we appreciate it at Ohio Realtors, and we can't wait to see, you know, how we can change the results of this study. So really appreciate all your time and dedication on this and for joining me on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View. 
and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.